people already did not look like this in the street. It was portraying something fantasy from how the West wanted to imagine the Orient, how the Western eyes pictured Oriental women. Welcome to Bella Dance Live podcast. My name is Jana Komarnitska. I'm a full-time dancer based in Toronto, performing a variety of Middle Eastern and Central Asian dance styles, including Bella Dance. You can find me at janadance.com as well as on Insta or Facebook by Jana Dance or Jana Komarnitska. I'm happy you've decided to join us for this weekly dose of dance inspiration because here on this podcast we explore all nuances and insights into lifestyle of ballet dancers and we are having amazing star guests who share their stories, secrets and tips with you. Hello guys, you are listening to Ballet Dance Live podcast and I'm very happy to present you this interview with uh, Samia Gamal of Modern Times. I'm pretty sure you by this moment know who I'm talking about. And this is an interview with amazing Orit Maftsir, who is a world-known ballet dancer based in Israel. And I truly believe that she is one of the life examples that dance is truly international language that can connect and unite us despite all uh, social, political or any other kind of struggles that we are uh, forced to deal in modern times, but hopefully dance and art can all connect and unite us across the borders. And Orit inspires not only her local community, but she inspires dancers all around the world by presenting her truly significant style that is a lot inspired by traditions, but at the same time a lot of her a fantasy world that you'll hear about in this uh, amazing talk. We did experience a couple of technical issues, so the sound unfortunately is not as perfect as I wish it was. I'm a bit nervous by <laughs> pressing publish on this episode, but the content is truly, uh, truly a treasure. So I hope you enjoy it. In any case, I'm very happy that we managed this, this one and uh, I'm able to deliver you a very interesting conversation with beautiful, talented, and uh, truly amazing Orit Maftsira. Before we dive into this episode, I'd like to thank Baladance Evolution for supporting our podcast. Baladance Evolution is a revolutionary company that explores, celebrates, and reimagines Middle Eastern and Western dance. Created by Jelena Carlano, they perform across the globe, and you can become a part of their shows too. The casting call is open until July 29th for their latest production, Phantasm 1001 Nights, to be presented in Mexico City. So don't postpone submitting your online application. For more information, head over to their website, balladanceevolution.com. First of all, I'd like to uh, welcome you to the show and thank you for finding time in your busy schedule to join us and to share uh, your art and experience with our listeners. <laughs> thank you. To start our conversation, I always like to go sort of a time machine back uh, because ballet dancers obviously know you as a successful established dancer today, but uh, how did everything started? How did ballet dance became part of your life? Do you remember your first interaction? or maybe first class <laughs> or something like yes. that. 
Yes, because this is a story that I have to tell over and over again, and it is uh, so radical and so unexpected, um, especially um, in you know taking the fact that I could never guess or imagine or view the future. So if you ask me about a time machine, I could never even point out and say, one day I want to be a stage performer, a belly dance artist, uh, you know, to travel. I could never guess that this will happen. Now that it did, after a few years, I can say, okay, I, I see why it happened because I, I'm, I know what I wanted. I just didn't know that it's going to be through belly dance. So the story is that when I was, uh, it was almost 20 years ago in 1999, and I was uh, working as an industrial designer in an architect firm, and I was working on projects on uh, museum design museum um, halls and presentations and it was something that I was uh, very very good at as soon as I finished my my um, my academic training as an industrial designer I was immediately uh, interviewed and uh, accepted to this nice firm and um, back at this time I had a very serious relationship with someone who lived away from Israel he was living in the United Kingdom and um, he came especially to live with me here. We lived together in Tel Aviv, but the relationship was obviously not working. <laughs> and um, obviously because, you know, it was 10 years ago and now I'm with someone else, of course. Um, so he left and uh, I had uh, ended up with this void inside myself. And uh, I immediately had... The, the will and the need to take all my energy out on two things I always dreamed to do. But I did them very rough and uh, no training or anything. The first thing I did was that I bought a sewing machine and I started to make my own clothes. And I was living in the center of Tel Aviv next to a very, very uh, famous um, um, market selling a lot of fabrics very special fabric market and I just went every day and bought treasures like very very easy to make fabrics and I started to make dresses and outfits and stuff without even knowing what to do but this is something that I always loved and since I was a little girl I was dressing my dolls and I was uh, this is the kind of things you know that you love to do so I just made them as something real and I became my own big doll. And the second thing I did is that I really wanted to get back to dancing because as a child, I was always um, going to dance classes, to classical ballet. And I stopped when I was uh, finishing my high school and I joined the Israeli army, the IDF, which uh, is something that you have to do here when you live here. Everyone who finished their high school at the age of 18, they have to join the IDF. So... Uh, unless you're a professional sport or musician or anything that is very, very professional, you drop this and you cannot do this during your training. So in the two years that I was in the army, I was obviously losing any contact with my ballet classes and I didn't do it anymore. So after that, I went to, to study arts and industrial design and then I left the dance territory for good. So when I broke up with this guy and I started to, to search what to do next, I realized that I have to go back to dance, to do something. And I was very fascinated with Spanish flamenco. And um, I started to look in the phone book, you know, belly, you know, classes and 
studios that I can join. But the fact was that this was already the end of the year. It was March 1999. And um, to study flamenco here in Israel, it's quite serious. So the schools were already busy in the projects of the end of the year shows. So they could not tell me, they didn't tell me, please join in because I was a beginner and I had no classes that just opened. I could only join in in the September. However, belly dance, <laughs> this is something much more amateur. And uh, then I found the belly dance ad of a school, Sahara City. And um, I called them and they said, yes, you're welcome to come in, take a free class and see if you like it. Because the standards of belly dance learning are very, very amateur and very accepting. Actually, I came to think about it that my conclusion is that belly dance collects all the leftovers, all the people who, are, who cannot do anything professional in other professional standards. Like belly dance classes embrace and give a chance to anyone, man or woman, adult or child, in any size and any any scale of between talented and completely untalented, they can do belly dance. And um, I was quite talented, but I had no measures to know what I can do or not. I mean, this is something very, very far from me. But I've decided that I'm going to take this class and to try it. And once I did, I got completely, completely drawn into this. You know, I was sucked into this. And this was also in the center of this market next to my house. And uh, I could go there every day after my, uh, my job, my day job finished, and buy fabrics and take class. And buy fabrics and take a class. So it became part of my life, especially after you know, losing a very important relationship and suddenly you have a lot of free time for yourself. So that was March 1999. And on June, three months after, I already went to a diving, a scuba diving uh, vacation, because this is something I love to do, to do scuba diving, uh, to Dahab or Sharm, I can't remember, one of them, either Sharm Sheikh or Dahab, it's, it's in Sinai, you know, it's a part of Egypt, but it's like this desert strip next to the Red Sea that you go, um, it's connected to Israel, of course, so you just go and pass the border. And back then, I remember somebody was putting their local music, and I started to dance and dance and dance, and there, there was a big circle of people around me. I was always, only danced for about three months, from March until June or something like this. And then I, I started to realize that, wow, people are looking at me, and they like what I do, and they like my dance, and they're creating a big circle around me, and I get all this attention. And I started to like it. I was terrified, and my body was like a like stone. I felt I can I cannot move. But the more I danced, the more it went out. It's completely different from what I remembered as a child when I was dancing in ballet classes. It gave me something else, a social connection. It was not, you know, it gave me something else to my my mental situation, and my physics were. The more I was freeing my spirit with the people, the better my body got. You understand? I mean, it was very different from my childhood training because when I was trained as a dancer in ballet, in modern ballet, in jazz, it was just what the teacher taught us and how we were connected with music. But audience, 
was not a factor. It was it, 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 it was never relevant if there was an audience or not, or who is the audience. And of course, there would never be a situation where you dance under a circle and people are clapping to you. <laughs> so um, this is something that I got really, really into, that dance comes together with how people react to it. It has an immediate impact. Um, you can now maybe take this uh, resemblance and make a comparison to someone who is a trained as a theater actor or a stand-up comedian. You know, there is this connection with the people. So that was 1999. And a year after, in 2000, I was already flying to Egypt, which is like a 50-minute flight. And that was when I was first time in Cairo, mesmerized, as anyone who would go there for the first time would be. Um, of course, it was more than uh, 20 years ago, so almost 20 years ago, so... I don't know how different it is now because I haven't been there for many years because of other, you know, security situations and then politics between the countries. But back then, it was very, very naive. And um, again, I, do I dived in and I liked it and I started to travel two times, three times every year. And by 2002, if I remember correctly, I already had my first show with my live music on stage and my six costume set and my uh, four dancers as companions and my choreographies and you know a first real show in uh, in Egypt or in Israel no no in Israel everything in Israel I was I was in I was very much influenced from the Egyptian show and I did it very quick I was already shifted my my world from being parties and dancing for entertainment and for chinas and weddings and birthdays and stuff like this and already made my own big real show big stage show and all this because flamenco school classes were already you know you know closed and I could not fit in so okay let's try belly dance so all my world changed by mistake well, as they say, there are no co coincidences. <laughs> probably, probably that was the way. <laughs> uh, well, we are very lucky with that uh, kind of mistake because now we have you and you inspire so many dancers. And I can even say on my own example, like, then I was just starting doing ballet dance. I remember like maybe two, three years into ballet dance, I had, I think it was already DVDs and I had a bunch of recordings of your performances it was mostly from Russian and Ukrainian festivals, but like I remember right now, like I don't remember music, I don't remember event, but I remember a couple of your performances, like visual, like I remember you was doing Melaya, Alexandria, and stuff, and then there was one performance, it was on a uh, long black uh, sort of um, covered with mesh dress and huge earrings and like that. Uh, Aura and applause, like I personally remember, was very much inspired. And one of the things that brought my attention, even back then, that your style was very... It was really showing that you put your individuality in it. Although I had no idea, <laughs> you know, I met in person or anything like that. But I remember it was very contrasting to everything else that I've seen around, especially in those times in Ukraine, that competitions and, and it was a big trend. And you were dancing completely different. 
land. And later I discovered all oh, the golden era sort of motifs there, <laughs> etc. But I remember my first impression discovery about all that style was through your dancing, just visually. Oh, it looks different. So can you tell us a little bit uh, how did golden era style of dancing uh, influenced you? Or if at all, maybe it comes something from different source, <laughs> your, your style no, and you, your input. No, you are very right. You are very right. Because how, how did they actually train? I had this classes that I took in the center of Tel Aviv and where I told you in Sahara City School with one teacher. And her way was very much, uh, look at me and follow my butt. But she gave me a lot of inspiration with the atmosphere in her studio. It was covered with old movie posters. It was completely dedicated to the old movie stars, uh, you know, the Farid el movies and all the nice black and white atmosphere. So I was already soaking the atmosphere from there. And even though as, as someone who wanted to make her steps in real live entertainment and to dance for people, which is you, you don't dance in a movie set, you dance uh, in between people's uh, dinner. The atmosphere I had in my mind that I'm a part of a movie set. That it's, you know, that it, because firstly, if you look at many, many movies, a lot of the scenes are part of cabaret, where, where the audience is really sitting around with, you know, uh, round tables and drinks and small candles or chandeliers, and everything is a part of the cabaret. And uh, this is the scenes from Samia Gamal movies when she plays a dancer or an artist. Or, but you can see that this is a set inside a place where people are watching. So I had a very, very easy way to imagine that when I'm dancing in a wedding, I'm like Samia Gamal, who's dancing in the cabaret in that movie. It was, it was for me a direct line from what my inspiration was. So even when I made my costumes, I portrayed myself. Um, this was my, my own time machine, my bubble, um, to create my own time zone. I had no age, no language no special story, I was fantasy. And everyone around me were the players in my movie. It's almost on the border of being a mental illness, you know, but this is what we do actually when we dance. It is quite unnormal for women in any age to suddenly wear something very exotic and very sensual and have a whole lot of makeup and hair and to dance. It's completely disconnected from the real area around us. But this is what the beautiful thing about belly dance, it takes you to another world. It was always a part of a fantasy. Because even in the golden era, even 60 and 70 years ago, people already did not look like this in the street. It was portraying something fantasy from how the West wanted to imagine the Orient how the Western eyes pictured Oriental women, they didn't look like this. <laughs> they were not as beautiful and as sensual those beautiful shining clothes. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It was a completely, um, a complete Western way of how to put an image, a fantasy of a sensual, elegant, not exactly elegant, but, you know, something very um, um, different from their daily lives. And you can see this already in the movies, in the uh, Art Nouveau and Art Deco area, 
and how Badia Masabni, when she first came up with the idea to make a cafe cabaret and put in some dancers, she had to train her dancers to the Western eye. So she had to train them in ballet and in posture and how to use a veil and how to handle high heels, things that the local edition dancers never knew how to do. She had to put live music that cooperates um, cello and violin and guitar and sometimes uh, piano, even though it was completely unfolkloric. But she had to satisfy the Western eye, the people that came to her cabaret, the officers and the politicians and the diplomats and some European people who came to those Egyptian clubs. She wanted to give them something. It's very similar to the Khan Khan uh, dance from Parisian time when they had to give something that sells the exotic dream of this French diva to the people. Although in those times, the, the real French women were very poor and struggling. So it, it sells a fantasy. And this is how belly dance dancers in movies were portrayed. They did not have a central role. They were always on the side of a male finger. And they were always demure, you know, not completely 100% present and completely 100% assertive and charismatic. There was something a bit on the side, not to take too much of the focus. So those big round eyes and everything was a bit delayed and how they used the arms to hide sometimes their faces or the side of the bodies. And this um, dame in distress, this is how you call this? Someone who needs to be saved. Um, very much like the Disney, um, the, you know, the Disney princesses from those times, from the early 40s when Walt Disney was doing uh, Snow White and Cinderella and uh, the Sleeping Beauty. It was always some princess who needs to be saved. So this was also the image. And only during the 60s, they started to take central stage. So Samia Gamal started to have more central roles in music. And um, later on, Agua Fuad and Abil Abed and, of course, Fifi Abdu started to control more of their roles in the music and to become more strong. But this was always only on screen because everybody knows now that their real life was really distressful, that they could not marry and they could not live how they wanted and they were never as respected as other male dancers, or even as singers. Belly dancers were always put in down. But for me, I was too naive to, to understand all those little details. I just saw the image, and I love this image. I love this not 100% forward present. Something always was left hidden, mysterious. And this is why I took, like arms work and body posture to a very uh, ballet style like it's something from another era and it is something a bit uh, old and come on girl you don't dance like this today but yes i want to show how things were done before and to 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 represent this old type of women because today women are much more aggressive even egyptian dancers of today are completely different from the egyptian dancers of many years ago they are very, very, very sometimes vulgar, sometimes aggressive, sometimes um, unsensual, but very, very sexual. 
you know, doesn't have to be together. Very, very sexual doesn't mean that it's sensual. This is what I see on today's dance. And um, very exposed, change their feminine body to something very brutal. So when I started to dance, it was natural to me to be connected to this fantasy world. And when I imagined music, I imagined what kind of um, fabric I can wear for this kind of music. If it was coming for me together, how it will look in a stage, how do I want to make people feel? And if it was not a stage, if I was just dancing in a Bedouin tent to entertain someone, some group or people, for me, it was a part of my set. I could control my set. How they look at me and how they feel, what kind of atmosphere I create. And since I stepped on any kind of floor, because I was working in many, many places, I was dancing on swimming pools and in the desert sand and in weddings on rooftops, and it doesn't matter. In those 10 or 20 or 30 minutes that I had, I made everybody feel like they're part of my set. And my set was always what I remember from those golden era movies. Oh, it's so beautiful what you're talking about. is like creating your own magic world. <laughs> it's so interesting. Like you basically uh, putting together a very interesting uh, comparison because we are talking about something considered very traditional, like golden era style of dancing, which now is like sort of a norm or example of one of the most traditional uh, representations of ballet dance. And at the same time, putting there and comparing to the elements of fantasy and how traditions, it's also at some point where sort of innovations. <laughs> uh, and now, now it's also interesting to see that uh, dancers step by step, little by bit, little, but I kind of feel they start coming back to golden era style or at least some elements or influences uh, we kind of see here and there popping up on the modern uh, dance scene. Something I also wanted to ask you about your attention to details uh, because you're not only ins put inspiration from golden era dance into your uh, movement vocabulary but it's also very obvious than watching your videos that you pay a lot of attention to lines, to the uh, shape of arms, like to all those like little, little details. So if you don't mind sharing with us little secrets from the dance, uh, I don't know, cooking kitchen, <laughs> do you usually, how do you prepare for your shows? Is it like improvisation? Is it choreography? Do you have any, I don't know, practice routines that you do before performance? <laughs> Specifically focusing on those like little details that look so polished and so clean uh, on stage. Um, okay, I would firstly say that everything comes from the music. And I never rush to understand the music. I listen to it so many times. And I discover so many layers in it. And once again, if we go back to Golden Era, it was um, very, very important to illustrate an atmosphere with the music. And uh, the dancer, it doesn't matter if she was talented or not good or not, she was another illustration of the music. She was the visual, visual illustration of the music. Um, today, in my eyes, sometimes I see um, classical dancers that I don't find them that they're matching the music. I feel that I have more tools and more way to understand music, I think, 
better or more specific because uh, today we have more knowledge and more ways how to isolate the body and how to give attention to quiet places, to crescendo places, to intensive parts of the music or to relaxed part of the music. So today a contemporary dancer doesn't have to illustrate the music all in the same way, like strong, 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 or, you know, we cannot allow ourselves as dancers of today when we have so much exposure to information and knowledge and inspiration to flatten the music and to make it one dimensional. There are so many dimensions. Music tells you everything. And especially classical musics like from Abdul Halim Hafiz and Muhammad Abdul Wahab, they are made as stories. They are made as parts that tell you stories. So all you have to do is to listen to music and take your path. And less is more. Sometimes you do not, like I think of the fact that the composer chose to put a violin solo. For me, if I make a translation to the body, it means that only one part has to dance. Like if you isolate your body to instruments, then you take the time how to express the music one part by the other. You don't have to overload and when it comes to emotions and face mimics and to extend your arms and your legs, there is so much going on. So you really need to choose carefully on how you want to pass on this music. Eventually, this is what we do. We illustrate music. Um, hence why I'm much more connected to classical music, which is for me more cultural and has more interested parts than to contemporary electronic music or to drum solo, which is, for me, has less dimensions and less interest and less uh, traveling between starting, middle, and end. However, if you listen to any classical composer that made in the 60s or in the 70s beautiful romantic or songs, oriental songs, you can see that there is a difference in the energy from the beginning to the middle to the highlight and to the end. So it's more interesting to me to pass this. So that's another thing. The fact that it's very modern to dance street shabby, it doesn't mean that I have to dance street shabby if I don't get connected to it. So perhaps those little details that you see is because I choose from the beginning the things that I find more interesting to me. And I'm not trying to stamp my own style. I just try to love this music and show how much I love it. And then I pass this on. It's a beautiful reminder. Like uh, the most important is like to be true to yourself and what uh, you feel and and want and uh, and hear in the music or in the dance, rather than trying to uh, pretend or create something out of nothing without any emotion or intention but also one thing that you just was telling about isolating just one body one part of the body and keeping the uh, showing the melody or some a specific instrument i remember one of the workshops that i was lucky to attend by you you made us you basically gave us a task oh now you dance only with your arms which yes yes yes, yes, yes. i know i still do this i still do this this is when i do tarab classes 
And I isolate and I say, okay, now we have music. doesn't matter what. I usually start with Anafi and Tizarak of Um Karsum. I always start with this. And we only do it with arms. How we can illustrate seven or eight minutes just with arms. And then I say, okay, next, tie your arms behind your back or in the sides of the body. And now we only do hips. Not shimmy. Just, you know, figure eights and circles and maya and undulations. And, and then I, again, tell them, okay, no hips, just shimmy. I mean, of course, shimmy is hips, but how you can illustrate, again, six or seven or eight minutes music just with one way. And in this way, I remind us and the dancers how we've forgotten so many classical moves. Because everyone are now in a hurry to push as many, many, many moves and as many, many strong moves to get a quick attention. And I wanted to show that if we can refresh the body vocabulary and how we can in make enchant the people who watch us, even with as minimal moves, as long as we have the intention. So yes, the training, I, do, I still do it until today, is to separate parts of the body and every time to listen to the music and give the melody and the little breaks and everything all this with extensions of that part and i remember it till today and uh, one thing i just should add it sounds like oh sure i my first initial like initial thought was like oh sure i can dance like for five ten minutes just with my arms but then you start doing it and then after 40 seconds it's like what what's going on i thought it's so much easier because you right away want to engage something else like either your I don't know, chest or, or head or something but then it's like no it has to be just arms so it's very cool exercise and uh, it just brings uh, attention to a completely different level of uh, connection between movement and music so yeah well thank you for introducing it <laughs> at least to my dance world but i'm sure many dancers feel the same way it reminds me how before you move on it reminds me a lot of my conflicts with this new world imagine that i'm like you know like a princess who woke up into a modern world and she, she has this contrast of understanding how people talk and how they behave. And I see so many competitions and so many talented, brilliant dancers, but they have lack, complete lack of connection to themselves. They have to follow steps and follow choreography and follow trends and follow fashion and follow stupid costumes and follow a lot of things that are harming them when they are when they can be good 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 artists and much more entertaining and this is why I end up with only choosing like one or two favorite girls in competitions because they live by their own rules they do something that is enchanting me that is like okay this is her This is not the choreographer and the idol that she's following. This is something from her. So this conflict between, uh, okay, I want to practice belly dance. I want to win competitions. I want to be superstar. I want to do it as fast and I will do it. Like, just tell me what to do and I will do it. And then they lose their own voice. You understand? Right. Following the trends is basically copying someone else instead of creating uh, 
your own your own trend i guess <laughs> look copying is a necessity part is a necessary part copying is a necessity the biggest artists like the pablo picasso were copying okay copying is a necessity it's how children you know, copying their brothers in order to learn things or you know everyone are copying someone in order to learn but if you if you're smart enough you can take this copy and as as a practice but look at yourself look at your own body and your own image and your own possibilities and find out what works good for you or what creates kind of a look at you um especially when you copy iconic artists iconic artists are not necessarily very very good or very very interesting they are iconic because they have a mixed um qualities of charisma of timing of something special they can be even very vulgar or very um you know on everyone who's iconic there are many admirers and many people who resist them but those iconic artists can be very very um popping out if you copy someone so iconic then you most likely will fall into the trap of look like a trashy copy if the, the um, um iconic artists have a special boob implants which is ridiculous but because they're very very famous superstars they can afford it to themselves if you do this then it looks 10 more times ridiculous yeah even with some simple uh i don't know body imitations but uh, not to talk about even dance skills and and all those kind of things uh one term that can definitely describe your dance is uh, glamorous style and even something that you mentioned now about your sort of uh, a story that goes on in your mind about all this atmosphere even that atmosphere of golden era times also kind of has a glamorous uh, spices in it and definitely this term can also apply to your festival Elliot festival <laughs> you just probably one of the i don't know biggest by number of teachers and participants but also this glamour uh, presentation and style and everything that you do as a part of that festival it's quite fascinating can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your festival and how is it different from uh, other festivals that dancer can easily attend now because there are so many of them well uh, there are few elements that are key elements that makes this festival unique this year it's going to be the 15th year already so this festival have many many years of reputation it's not a promise on paper it's not a poster of teachers lineup it's something that has worked for almost 15 years this year it's going to be the 15th time so i'm very confident that i have a working product it's not promises and uh, photos and um, you know brochure this is really happening people that are here can really tell everyone that this is a dream it's not just oh look the brochure looks amazing the photos look amazing and when you come inside you see so many problems the image that i had in my mind was to create a very very good um how what's the word in english um experience <laughs> i lost the world sorry a good experience for the participant it was not about celebrating a superstar coming to us and having a nice poster and having a nice class for them and giving the teachers all the attention and make all the students like nothing 
No, it was all about the participants. So finding out the most friendly hospitality, because the ambassadors of this festival are not the 10 or 15 or 20 top teachers that come. The ambassadors of this festival are the participants, that they get really, really fun atmosphere and a lot of attention in the details, that they get an amazing hotel with all-inclusive foods and meals and free drinks and free alcohol and ice cream and marshmallow and chocolate falls and fruits. And you come to a nice festival. It's culinary, you know, high-class food. It works to all the senses, the music, the DJs, the, the live music, the the electronic music, everything we put is to create this atmosphere, not just um, good classes. Good classes are part of the festival, but they are not the issue in the festival. And um, like I would not say just a good hotel and bad classes. No, good hotel, good classes, good food, good parties, uh, nice small gifts like private attention. You come to your room and everything is very personal. And it's all around my hospitality, that I know every person myself. And even though it's 800 people, I know them. Or when it was one time 1,000 people, I know them. I'm there to be with everyone, to say good morning, to say good evening, to host. And I give the attention that I would like to get if I was traveling to a festival. Not just as a teacher, you know, teachers, when they travel, they get all the attention of the organizers all the attention, sometimes unnecessary attention. Sometimes it's over the top. It's really embarrassing. It's very important that I get all the good conditions when I travel because I use my body and my mentality to focus. So there are a few things that I insist to get, but otherwise it's more important than the service that I give to the organizers and to the participants in the classes and in the show would be as the best. I'm working for them now. Okay, I'm here, but they're not working for me. I'm working for them. So with the years, I came to this gold, um, how do you call it, golden formula of how to choose teachers that are friends, not diva, you know, that can be dancing with everyone in the pool parties, that are eating together, everyone, that are not just teaching and going to the room and shutting the door out and give me my dinner in the room or stuff like this. It's very important to create this friendly atmosphere. So everything is on time and it's on the shadow. Everything is very, very organized and um, well done. And it's important for me that everyone who steps on a stage in this festival, either in the open stage or in the competition or in a show with their groups or solo, have the most beautiful stage and best lights and now with my LED screens that I myself I do the design the graphic design of the LED screens I do actually the design of all the festival because I was an industrial designer and I was doing uh, you know exhibitions and museums so I'm my training as a graphic designer are very strong so I can do all the images of the festival and all the back screens and Everyone has their own stage, their own personal stage. This year, I matched the music to the design. And every costume had the costume color in the back. 
And every group that I knew the dancer going to dance and the costume, they had a special background that fits that group. And every artist has his own personal design background. So I could cooperate the logo of a Latt festival, but also with this personal artistic design to each performer. I ended up with making over 80, like eight zero, different, different back screens to the show. Not including the competition that we had in the open stage. Wow. I actually was curious about that because I was watching videos from your festival and they look really gorgeous, like this stage and uh, uh, lights. And I also was like, okay, what's the background? Do they request performers to send their background on the photos or something in advance? But no, now you're I, telling I, it's I, you. Wow. I give... Uh, I make the lineup. Not everyone can perform in this festival. Unfortunately, this is not the kind of festival that when you sign in, you can actually perform. And the more you pay for the shows, you can perform more. No. When you sign in, you're a participant. So it depends if you perform in a competition or you can do an open stage. That's for everyone. But in order to perform in a professional show, then I need to know the person and to see what they bring So not everyone can sign in and necessarily perform in ALAT. But if they do, they will get the most royal, amazing stage. And it's important for me, they have an uploaded videos already to YouTube. They don't pay for this. They don't pay for the photos or the videos. Everything is included in the festival package. So once again, it's important to give a good experience and a great service that you will not feel that you made a flight from a very far place and you ended up coming to a hotel and everything was looking great, but then you started to pay. Pay for extra class, pay for extra Diet Coke, pay for extra traveling from here to there, pay for extra video. No, you don't do this here. Once you're signed up to a live festival, all you have to do is to fly and show up. And you enter the hotel and it's all for you all included you don't have to pay one dollar extra you get all the classes and competition and open stage and shows and everything inside you can sign up for anything you want the shows are everything is free everything is inside you can take as many classes as you want with whoever you want and that's it unless you want to pay money for a costume for bazaar that's for you know the that's your stuff or to go to the shopping mall right across and stuff like this but the festival itself is very festive and well having having uh, free marshmallows and chocolate plus having everything goes on time it's already a huge huge uh, bonus to any festival and uh, if anyone ever attended any international festivals they will understand what i'm saying right now i don't think anyone got free alcohol all the time so much food in you know the level of hospitality is very very high and it's very generous but added the level of the festival itself the program and the artists and the shows and the teachers and the friends and that's high and that's high so the combination together is very 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 good believe me i i'm not just saying because i'm the organizer and because i'm very attended to people's critique and it took us time to build this because we had to learn many many things me and my partner yael moab we had to cooperate for many years and to find the needs of what people really need and um i think now we have this 
good formula and we know already what they need and and we still surprise them i still have all the time crazy ideas how to surprise how to add every year something else so um yeah find us what are the next dates uh, for this festival <laughs> it's uh february and it's from 20 until 23 it's the third weekend of february in israeli neilat you can find it as hot as a summer and um, it's like, you know, going to Egypt in those times. It can be very, very hot and very sunny. And we have nice, a lot of parties outside. It's really nice. Most, most of the years, the past few years, we were really naked in this festival because it was very, very hot. It was like a bikini festival. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Baladin's bikini festival. Well, <laughs> that's a new, new uh, maybe surprise yeah. for next year. <laughs> And it's very good, um, you know, it's, in, it's not in the touristic season. So when people fly to Israel in this state, it's a very cheap flight, especially if you book them from early. And uh, I'm going to um, uh, promote the festival starting from September. The registration will start. And then um, you can follow my Facebook page and see everything I do, a lot festival page as well. And and see come from there uh, yeah well uh, people can sign up only in september but uh, i highly encourage everyone already bookmark their calendars for those days <laughs> not to forget <laughs> um i know we are a little bit pressed by time in today but before i ask you our final signature podcast question uh, can you please uh, tell people where is the best way to find you and follow you you sort of mentioned facebook but many any other platforms or is it facebook oh your main no 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 i don't do instagram i don't do twitter and i answer very quickly if everybody write to me on messenger or if they find me on email i even uh, stopped holding my own website um, all those medias are, um, I just, you know, they're time consuming and I'm not like a teenager that I can do this and this and this and this. If I upload a video from class or from a show, okay, I upload a video. I don't have this ultra time to upload and share and post and push and, you know, to buy views and all this. No. So you can text me if you find me with Messenger on Facebook and Oritmoftil, uh, of course, or in my email, which is very easy, Oritmoftil at gmail.com. And um, that's it. Uh, so Facebook is the place. I'll definitely add it in show notes so for people easier to find uh, just by clicking on the link in the description of the interview. And any upcoming uh, trips during summer or early September maybe or early fall that people can find you in person and see your workshops? <laughs> in person, I'm going to come to United States this January to Seattle. And um, this is after I haven't been to United States for 10 years. So I will be in the United States this January, also probably in Ohio, Cincinnati on March. So January and March will be the United States. I have another Russia trip on March. And I try to, this weekend I'm going to go to Germany. And uh, I try not to travel as much as I used to because I have three little children and they need me. And the value of my time here with my family is higher than any value of any trip. And have, I've been traveling for so many years to so many places 
But as a mother, everything I have to take in consideration. Of course, I was traveling a lot, even with the children. But I prefer now, you know, to, to choose carefully where I go and the times, not to make them too intensive. That's it. <laughs> well, I know you have a very busy schedule. And uh, so thank you so much for finding this time and uh, sharing your experience and knowledge with all dancers. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, and I always fi- uh, finish all podcast episodes with the same question. And you're welcome to interpret it in your own way. But the question sounds is, uh, what makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years um it's interesting question because right now i'm already after 20 years thinking that there are many things that i don't like especially everything that comes up to the social media you know my perfect life pages there's all lies around and um The social media shows a lot of the things that are untrue. So it takes me away from from belly dance. It takes me away from people. I start to have less and less patience to those lives uh, from the social media. If I could, I would not be there at all. But the thing is that there is something very, very pure, very, very pure, which is very opposite to the social media. It's just you and the music. And every time, again and again, when I teach music that I love, I'm like drowning in deep waters. This feeling is exactly like 20 years ago and like 10 years ago and like when I was a child, that you have no name, no age, no size, nothing. It's just the inner you, the true you that is drawn with the music. This is memorizing and you cannot replace it. For me, this is what I can do it for myself. I mean, of course, many artistic uh, territories make the same thing for other people. If you ask an artist that is shutting himself in the studio, is painting for 12 hours without eating, without sleeping, it's the same. This obsessive thing that you can shut down the door and drone inside and suddenly me and 20 or 50 or 100 or 10 girls are just living this music and there is a lot of amazing pure energy in just this there is no outer world it comes to the point that it's it's you're not it's not even oriental thing you know i wear really minimal tights and minimal tops and I just do it as a dancer, as a person. I'm not trying to to have the image or I don't find it oriental. I, I just find it beautiful art. And um, this is something that is priceless. And I still have to work in the social media in order to present myself and in order to be, you know, to show my classes and everything. But there is a lot of dirt around it. But in the few moments that you really dance there is no dirt it's the most clean feeling in the world you understand yes and uh, it's beautiful Uh, thank you for sharing and uh, i hope that no madness of uh, social media would never spoil the joy from belly dance 
because what you create is beautiful art that inspires many people and uh, we can see that how you find your own inspiration in this dance form in the ballad and so hopefully it will be always the shining star and <laughs> will always overcome all those uh, uh, let's say logistics or social media myths or anything else uh, will never spoil the joy from the poor dance form. Thank you. So far, I can manage. It's mostly because um, this festival that I do is things that I have imagined. If you remember, one book that I read when I was a little child was The Never-Ending Story. And there is a part in this book that the world of the dreams of this child is destroyed. And he has to dream. And his dreams can create a new world. And I feel that everything I dream of, I make it. But there comes people that have no dreams and they just copy. So a lot of the things I have done are being copied in a vulgar way. And I see it outside. I see because I cannot close my eyes and I cannot avoid what I see. So there's a lot of copies, especially in the elements of the festival. And of course, it annoys me because there will always be followers to those copies. But as I told you in the beginning, I'm doing this already for 15 years and I will keep doing because I have a real reputation and I can dream more and more. I can always invent new things. So there will be always copies around me as long as I don't copy others and I have my own thing. And this is what I told you. There is a lot of dirt around, but when it's me and my dreams and dancing is like this, it's clean, it's pure. I can see the, the students are almost crying from happiness. They are completely mesmerized and they're following me and they're following the ideas. And they have their own way and their own personalities. I never encourage my students to look like me or to do what I do or to dress like me. They, they have their own way. But I can, I can see that I believe that what I do is a good thing. And whoever wants to stick around, sticks around. And the people who I don't want around me, they're not there. So I learned how to manage and maneuver. Maybe this is why I don't want to have another Instagram and to have a YouTube account that is activated with, you know, more pushed because I don't feel that it will do good for my health, for my mental health. I don't need this. I need the real dance. I don't need to dance for likes and for views. And, you know, to dance in this um, fake world, just the real dance. And uh, I believe in this. This is still unreplaceable. Guys, thank you so much for spending this time with us. And if you like this episode, it will mean a world to me if you take a few seconds and leave us a review on iTunes or share it with your friends. Also, you can always find more information about podcast as well as past episodes at yanadance.com slash podcast. As well as you can connect with me on social media by Yana Dance or Yana Komarnitska. I'm very active on Instagram as well as Facebook and share a lot of tips and inspiration for your daily ballet dance life. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe to podcast so you never miss a future episode. And until next time, keep shimming.